Hello, Marvelites. You're listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 531, the final episode of This Week in Marvel for 2021. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink. The big baby new year of 2022 coming at you in mere hours. (laughs) Oh, boy. I can't wait. 2022 It's going to be so beautiful, so easy, free. Nothing could possibly go wrong. It's going to be a wonderland. Ryan, don't jinx this. Don't jinx this. Oh, we're just, we're creeping into 2022, unassuming. We're going to try not to break anything and just keep our hands at our sides. <laughs> that seems about right. Everybody, do the best you can. Ryan, do you have any New Year's resolutions? I'm going to try to eat less sugar. That's the only thing. And I love sugar so much, but. I have to eat less sugar for my health. Otherwise, no, I'm great. Everything is rock solid. How about you? I'm going to try to move my body every day because I love to sit on the couch and not move at all. If I had my main choice for life, it would be me laying on a couch with my dog in my lap, vaguely falling asleep to a movie. So (laughs) we're going to try to move in 2022. But you know what? No pressure to me. We are not here just to talk about resolutions. We are here to talk about what's happening this week in Marvel, whether it's games, comics, movies, TV, or whatever we're excited about. Also, Lorraine, what else do we have this week? Well, we are looking back at 2021. We're going to share some of our favorite guests of the year. Nothing but the ding, dang hits. We're going to have interviews with Scarlett Johansson, Florence Pugh, Tom Hiddleston, and more folks talking about Marvel Studios films and beyond. Definitely stick around to hear some of our favorite moments from the show this year. But also, we do have a few things that have come up in this quiet holiday time. So why don't we do a little newsity news news? Of course, we're still trying to remain pretty spoiler free for Spider-Man No Way Home, which rules and is awesome. And I hope everybody has seen it a couple times already. If you haven't, just remember that at the very end of the movie, past all the, the cool stuff, you get that little bit of a teaser Ooh, that beautiful teaser for Marvel Studios' Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. It got me so hyped. I'm so excited for it. So, of course, go see Spider-Man No Way Home in theaters. Experience that teaser for Marvel Studios' Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness on the big screen. But you know what? If you also want to watch it over and over again, you can. It's up on the Marvel YouTube and all the Marvel Studios pages. Go check it out. And uh, while you're there, check out another teaser for Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, the new animated series. It's so cute. We got an introduction by executive producer Lawrence Fishburne, and he showed off a little glimpse of the show's animation style. It's so cute. I love Lunella Lafayette. I love Devil Dinosaur. Every little girl should be a genius with an enormous dinosaur. It's the least that they could do. You know what I want to know about this show? I want to know if there will be a recreation of the iconic cover to Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur number 33, which features Moon Girl and Lunella walking through the streets of Manhattan and a photorealistic depiction of your very own Agent M working at his desk with all his toys and everything. That's got to be in the show, right? Ryan, (laughs) does every show need to have you in it? I mean, the answer is yes, obviously. Yes, without question. Regardless, it's going to be very exciting. I can't wait to show this series to Catherine when the time comes. Ryan, I know you love a game. I love a game. And Marvel Contest of Champions, they are now doing their summoner's choice in Mm -hmm. which folks can choose the next character to be summoned into the contest. So there are 12 different candidates that you can choose from if you go to playcontestofchampions.com and cast your vote by January 7th. And there's some goodies in here. Beta Ray Bill, Agatha Harkness, Spider-Woman, Armor, Bullseye, Hobgoblin, Prowler, Quicksilver, Baron Zemo, Crystal, Kushala, and Danny Moonstar. Who's your guess? Who do you think people will vote for? My guess, I feel like Agatha Harkness is like a moment right now. So I feel like she could ride the tidal wave of popularity from the series. But I also think like Beta Ray Bill is such a classic and he would be so awesome to play as in the game. Those are my two top picks. What about you, Ryan? Well, I hope if they do choose Agatha, they go with comic book Agatha old 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 lady lady. Agatha and she She just looks like the lady on the cookies yeah she's like old (laughs) and she's got her brooch right here and she's got the long dress and like and she just 
destroys everyone. That would she, be so fun. She looks like a Norman Bates mom. Yeah. <laughs> in the comics. <laughs> I'm with you, though. Beta Ray Bill is such a great choice. Bullseye, I think, could make really, really fun gameplay. He's just he's kind of built for fighting and you know, having great ranged attacks. To see Danny Moonstar oh, is gosh. tremendous. Yeah. And like maybe she has a special where she goes full Valkyrie. Like that could be super cool. Ooh, yeah. Kushala is a great character who's had some wonderful comics in the last, you know, year or so. I would love to see her. Any one of these characters is a great choice. Let's be honest. They're so cool. Yeah, ten out of ten. Can't go wrong. Again, you can vote at playcontestofchampions.com while it lasts. Yeah, up until January seventh. Do it. We also have some great stuff coming to comics, including the Women of Marvel. They are back with a brand new Women of Marvel anthology, including a bunch of really great stories from just a heaping helping of awesome creative teams. Who do we got, Ryan? Oh, man. There's um, Charlie Jane Anders, who has written one story for us previously, but she's awesome. She's a great sci-fi novelist, and she's just wonderful. She's doing a Squirrel Girl and Black Widow team-up story. Yeah. Can't wait for that. I already texted her. I was like i can't wait we gotta get you on some podcasts because charlie jane andrews rules rihanna pratchett who wrote for the tomb raider games from idos montreal who's written some bioshock video game stuff mirror's edge and tons more video game work she's doing a shana the she devil and silver sable story which i'm like sassy babes yeah give it to me they're fighting poachers which is like nice every possible thing about that i love we got a cool Jessica Jones story by Zoe Thorgood. We've got a Black Cat story by, listen to this, Preeti Shibber, friend yeah. of the show, friend of yeah. ours, <gasps> and then artists Jen Bartel and Marguerite Savage. This is a ridiculous yep. team. Yep. Um, wow. Yep. And then we have the first Marvel Comics work from Mirka Andolfo, who's done some really cool stuff across a lot of comics. She's got some image stuff and some more. So it's great to see her here at Marvel. That's just some of the creative teams. I'm sure we're going to be talking about it much more when it releases March 9th. Yeah. And if you're looking for some even more Women of Marvel goodness, there's a trade coming out February 22nd. You can pre-order it now wherever you buy your comic book. But it is a collection of Women of Marvel number one, our first anthology, Girl Comics number one through three, and material from Marvel's Voices number one. And you guys, I wrote an essay for the Women of Marvel trade. I am in a comic book. Come for me, world. You can't stop me now. It is prose, but it still counts. Prose before bros. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about X-Men Unlimited Latitude, which is the collection of the first four chapters of the Marvel Infinity comic X-Men Unlimited by Declan Shalvey and Jonathan Hickman. That's going to be really cool, releasing on March 16th. So if you've not read it on Marvel Unlimited, you can now read it. And I'm very excited to see how it reads because the Infinity comic format is a vertical comic and how they adapt the work to the printed comic page. I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to see it. We'll, we'll find out March 16th. In other X-Men news coming in March, uh, we see that Immortal X-Men, which is launching in March by Kieran Gillen and Lucas Wernick, is going to have Magneto saying GTFO to the Quiet Council. He's leaving the Quiet Council, the sort of ruling body of Krakoa. That's a huge change for Krakoa. Mm -hmm. This is the destiny of X era that they're going into and there's a lot of wild stuff that they're cooking up i'm very excited for it yeah 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 we just saw that cassandra nova is going to be joining the marauders in the new Say what i know in the new series that is gonna be written by steve orlando art by eleonora carlini that's a ballsy move steve orlando and team because cassandra nova kind of murdered most of mutant kind in new x-men by grant morrison and frank whiteley way back when in <laughs> gosh 20 years ago so there's a lot of baggage there. We'll see how that shakes out. I am excited to see how this works and how horrible a choice she is for all of mutant kind. Or maybe Man. she'll be like, hey, everything's cool now. Let's party. Because Cassandra Nova is Professor Xavier's twin sister who is a nightmare. We'll see. I'm excited. That comes out in March. Also in March is a book that I am freaking excited about. It is the Reckoning War Trial of the Watcher book by Dan Slott and yeah. Javier Rodriguez. Two of our favorite creators in a big old Marvel Universe story. Mm -hmm. So baby, bring it. The poor Watcher. He's been through so much. Jason Aaron killed him, just <laughs> broke his eyes. Now he's back. He's in trouble. <sighs> 
poor watcher, but like at the same time, he's kind of the worst, right? Well, he's not good at either job. He's not good at really helping, and he's not not good at just watching. It seems like he should pick one, but you know what? Know. I'm not here to judge the watcher. But maybe some of that we will understand a little bit better as we get into Reckoning War. This is a story that Dan Slott has been building on and, and sort of seeding for over 15 years. Go back and read She-Hulk by Dan Slott, where he like really seeds it. It's been stuck in my brain for those 15 plus years when he first started to tease it. So I'm very excited uh, for this issue. The teaser text says in all of the multiverse, there is only one what if world that Uatu has avoided watching one what if that he never wished to see and now it will be revealed the story that could damn him for all time and a revelation that could change everything in this universe blah, blah, blah. all right ryan there's much more comic book because as you might do some math this year mm-hmm. 1962 <laughs> was a very big year for marvel comics and a lot of characters were created in that year With the year 2022 coming, that is a 60-year difference and therefore a 60-year anniversary of many characters this year. Hooray! Two of those characters are the Incredible Hulk and the Mighty Thor. And it just so happens that one man is writing both comic book series right now, Mr. Donny Cates. And wouldn't you know it, Dangerous Donny Cates is up to his old antics again. And he's got a new story coming up called Hulk vs. Thor. Banner of war you like that i've been listening to a lot of metal to get ready for this you forgot the alpha number one that goes after it ryan well that's the first issue the storyline is called banner of war and then it's going to have an alpha number one hitting shelves in april of 2022 and then the next couple of issues of the five issue crossover will go between the hulk and the thor solo titles between may and june it's going to be fun donnie's writing it as i mentioned with art by martin cocolo and I'm very excited for it. We've seen a little bit of a some preview art released. We also saw a little bit of a snippet of it at the end of Timeless Number One. Lorraine, Timeless Number One came out this week, and it's a big honkin' Kang story. In Timeless, there's a whole bunch of teases for what's coming in 2022. There's a big moment at the end. I hope no one has been spoiled on it. Please go read the comic as soon as possible if you haven't yet. But I literally went, holy (laughs) at the end of the issue. Hopefully everybody out there gets to experience it. And there's also a little bit of a tease of something coming. You see the logos for the Avengers, the X-Men, and the Eternals. And I don't know what's going on, but we'll find out more later this year. Speaking of Eternals... The Eternals are about to get in an all-out war with the Avengers in Eternals number 10, which is coming out in March by Kieran Gillen with art by Asad Ribic. I mean, this creative team, I cannot, how great they are. And it's going to be Icarus versus Captain Marvel, laser eyes versus laser hands. Who will laser? Only you know. Well, the cover has them laser eyesing each other, like at each other. It's so They're good. They're like, I'm cosmic energy. No, I'm cosmic energy. <laughs> no, I'm blonde. No, I'm blonde. <laughs> But this is a great series. You should definitely be reading it now. Screen Rant recently called The Eternals the best comic of 2021 because it is so good. So go read a bunch of them. A bunch of them are on Marvel Unlimited right now. So go just enjoy them on MU and get going if you have Marvel Unlimited. Yeah. Also, we had Kieran Gillen on Marvel's pull list. He's so delightful to talk to. Getting him to talk about Jack Kirby's Eternals and talk about his Eternals. It makes me really happy that Kieran is back doing work at Marvel. And if you want to read more of Kieran's work at Marvel, you can, of course, go to Marvel Unlimited. And if you're looking for tons of some of the best comics of the year over on Marvel.com, we have a big feature highlighting some of the best comics that are on Marvel Unlimited that came out in 2021. Some really wonderful stuff. Mm -hmm. We highlight a lot of these issues on Marvel's pull list because on that show, we talk about every new comic every week. So there's a lot of great stuff to read. If you're not signed up for MU, come on, go check it out. There's a special year-end deal on Marvel Unlimited at marvel.com slash unlimited while it lasts. I know many of you ask me, hey, when's there going to be a sale on MU? Well, go. Sign up. Yeah. Yeah. Do it now. It's like the yeah. best deal in the world. I mean, where else are you going to get 29,000 comics and counting? It is the best. So as we told you at the top of the show, this episode is going to be real fun. We pulled highlights from five of our favorite interviews this year, and we were thinking about it. Disney Plus had a 
just an incredible year. So these are all themed around great shows or movies or things you can now check out on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, we've got some wonderful highlights from our favorite interviews, first of which is going to be Ryan, you got to do this one. Tom Hiddleston from Marvel Studios' Loki. This interview was taken from episode 502, if you want to go find it. And that was on June 11th of 2021. Ugh, Tom Hiddleston is just the best guy to interview. What a lovely person and what a great show to talk about. This year marks... 10 years since Marvel Studios Thor came out. So that's 10 plus years of Loki inside your head. Yeah. What do you know about the character now that maybe you didn't back then? What do I know about him now that I didn't know? I think I know more about his many different iterations than I did back then, I suppose. That's really been really interesting in terms of his journey through the comics and different graphic artists, different comic writers, different imaginations, different takes on the character from different people. I remember early on, I went back to the Stan Lee and Jack Kirby stuff, and then I kind of went through Walt Simonson and up to J. Michael Straczynski. But I know much more about these other iterations of Loki, I suppose, the more contemporary ones, Daniel Kibblesmith. I know more about Kid Loki, I know more about the mythos, I suppose. And having played him, I know more about, it's really interesting because you, every time I play him, it's almost like a, you send out a musical signal and it echoes in the world and comes back to you through the audience. And I know more about what he means to people and what people find interesting about him and what people want to know more about him. And, and then very privately, I suppose, there's what I continue to find interesting about him too, so that I'm not constantly just recycling the same stuff or reheating, you know, yesterday's recipe, I guess. So that's been a really interesting journey. Yeah. He's a deep and profound character who contains a huge amount of complex feeling and that that feeling resonates out there in, in the readership and in the audience, I think, I guess. Was it strange or difficult or normal for you to jump into a Loki that hasn't experienced a lot of things that very much shaped his path and what we've seen him do and, and think about on screen? Yeah, it was definitely a bit of a, I had to do a little bit of thinking about trying to get back into the mindset of the Loki from Avengers in 2012. Quite uh, self-possessed and with a very hard outer shell and very defended and very defensive and um, kind of pompous and grand and, <laughs> and hubristic, you know. <laughs> he knows what he wants, he knows how he's gonna get it. And he's kind of witheringly superior to people who he regards as beneath him. And that was definitely different from where I've been more recently in Ragnarok and Infinity War. But I knew where we were going. What I loved about the first episode is it's this Loki we all know, entitled and haughty and uh, self-righteous and puffed up. And, and he's completely out of his comfort zone immediately. This very controlled character is out of control. He's stripped of everything that's familiar. There's no Asgard. There's no green and gold. There's no helmet. There's no magic. There's no Thor. There's just this indeterminately infinite bureaucracy of the TVA and he doesn't understand it and he doesn't know what the rules are and his confusion was really delicious for me to kind of jump into. It shows. What a great interview, Ryan. And of course, all episodes of Marvel Studios Loki are now streaming on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Also streaming on Disney+, Plus is Marvel Studios Black Widow. And up next, we have Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh talking about the film with a friend of the show, Ellie Pyle. This comes from episode number 507. That was also this summer, July 16th, 2021. We are bringing out all the hits and we have two of the stars of the film right here on the show for you right now. Scarlett, you've been part of the MCU since the beginning. How does it feel to get into Natasha's backstory in this film? Really daunting at first because, you know, we had kind of a time in the universe that we wanted this to fit in. Anything was possible. Um, you know, we started with like a blank slate. We certainly had sort of alternate story ideas, like scripts, 
even at times alternate anti-heroes and, you know, that we were playing with and it was just like, anything is possible. You know, it's like, you kind of have like blue sky ideas and then you have to figure out like how to pair everything back and make it all feel like a movie, you know, as opposed to just sort of an idea. And so it was daunting. I mean, there was definitely obvious ways for us to go with this. I guess the obvious way would have been something that felt like a spy thriller kind of film, you know, and so we just tried to get as far away from what was expected as possible. And so I think with this movie, you really get dysfunctional family film. And then like this, the Marvel universe sort of like crashes into it. And it's, really kind of takes the whole idea of what a Black Widow movie would or could be and flips it on its head. And that's what makes it a Marvel movie, in fact. That's awesome. Now to you, Florence. Since this is your first introduction to the MCU, can you tell us who Yelena is and what attracted you to her character? I mean, first of all, it was very exciting slash intimidating to hear that I was in the mix to play Scarlett's younger sister. And especially in a film that's been wanted for so long, it was like, well, what purpose is this younger sister? What is she going to do? How is she going to hold herself? And I was really, really impressed and excited to see that she was her own being and she had her own kind of heartbeat and she had her own opinions. And I think straight away off the page, there was something really wonderful about just how stubborn and bullshy and strong she was. And she wasn't afraid to voice her opinions. She's very loose in a sense. She doesn't quite know how to be in normal society and she doesn't quite understand normal life. And so it was quite exciting to play someone who was so skilled at this one thing, being an assassin, and yet was so fresh and excited to see the world for the first time. So there were lots of layers about Yelena, and I was just really excited to be welcomed into the MCU and actually have, you know, a real person that was going to mean something to, I suppose, Scarlet's character. And I, uh, I loved it. It was great. Speaking of Scarlet's character, Scarlet, in your own words, how would you describe their relationship? It's a complicated relationship because these two women, their relationship is based on a feeling that they had as children and a dynamic that they had as children. Florence's character, Elena, being quite young and my character being sort of like a teenager. And, you know, whatever there is in that, like big sister, little sister thing, like some jealousy, obviously fondness, playfulness mischievousness but you know their relationship is is based on how they were as adolescents and then this huge period of time goes by where they grow and develop as women and when they come back together again you know there's a lot of I think disappointment expectation betrayal confusion pain regret and like a lot of very complicated feelings about one another and, and yet they still kind of regress back to being children too that's all baked in there while still kind of then you look at somebody and you see them and it's a grown woman and you know you realize that you don't really know anything about them you know you do and you don't at the same time and so it's it's quite complex the relationship and i i think this film does such a beautiful job of exploring that relationship. You know, it's really, it's very moving. And I think you root for these two characters, you know, you root for these two women, you hope that they're able to be stronger together. So that's what you want, which is really important for the success of the film, I think. Thank you again to Ellie Pyle for conducting that wonderful interview. And of course, Marvel Studios Black Widow, along with a lot of other great films from Marvel Studios are now streaming only on Disney Plus, and you can watch it in IMAX as well. So go check them out. Yeah. All right. We're keeping on that Disney Plus train because up next is a highlight from our interview with Matt Shackman, director of Marvel Studios WandaVision. This comes from all the way back, episode number 489 from March of 2021, talking about the landmark original series that Marvel Studios put out. That was the first one we did, right? Mm -hmm. Wow. It feels like 50 years ago, but also yesterday. Yeah, it oddly does feel like a very long time ago that was two minutes ago. Yeah, it's awesome. Again, this is from March. If you want to go back and listen to it, episode 489. But right now, here's a highlight from us talking with Matt Shackman. 
What was it like taking two characters into this new world who were already, obviously, as actors, they're very established in those roles and those characters are already somewhat trod? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, they are established characters, but they're not established like characters on Law and Order, you know, where it's like every episode is the same thing of, you know, you're going to go investigate, then you're going to go to the courthouse. I mean, in the case of of Scarlet Witch, or sorry, I say Wanda Maximoff and Vision, they have evolved over the films. You know, they continue, the storylines continue to evolve. The situations that they find themselves in are different in every film. And it's the same in WandaVision. Like all of a sudden, you're in a completely new environment and add to that new styles, new tones, everything. We approached it, you know, the way I think any good student of television should, which is we watched a lot of episodes. We got together. We had sitcom boot camp. We tried on different tones, different styles, and we discussed, you know, what made different comedy work in different eras. The Brady Bunch is very different from Dick Van Dyke, you know. We looked at how we could adjust our own approach based on the eras. But yes, they they know who these people are. They know what they have gone through. And together, we all sort of put our heads together to create where they're going. This is their first time having a story that they're at the forefront of. They've always been in these greater teams. Was there any sort of one thing about them or their characters or their dynamic that you really wanted to make sure came across to fans and viewers? No, I mean, I think the thing that we all respond to about them has been the same through all these films, which is that they have tremendous chemistry together. Mm -hmm. And that chemistry sustains in the dramatic, real MCU world. And and you'll see it in all of these different sitcom worlds as well. There's just something about those characters and those performers embodying those characters that just feels right together. And you're rooting for them. And there's something about how they complete each other, too. I mean, here is this, this woman who is suffered so much and lost so much and who is so alone in this world and how she finds herself complete through the union with this person who's not even human, really, or he's partially human, but he's more human than anyone else, right? He's this philosopher who seems to, even though he isn't like the rest of us, he seems to know us better than we know ourselves, right? And they complete each other, that he is absolute order and she is chaos. And that order and that chaos coming together feels kind of perfectly right, you know, and that's what the story is in our show, too. Obviously, we have this duality of real world elements coming into Wanda's world, could you talk a little bit about some of the stylistic choices that you used when peppering some of these real world elements, whether it was the toy plane or radio transmissions? Yeah, I mean, that's a, the toy plane is an example of one of our one-to-one. We have a lot of transformation, things that exist out in the real world that then we find defanged versions of inside Wanda's world. So there is a drone from the outside world that is could be threatening. It goes through our boundary, as it were, and is transformed into a sweet vintage helicopter toy. And that's really what Wanda does in in many instances, which is to take anything from the outside world that's a real threat and turn it simply into a sitcom prop. You know, this is a, a woman who has suffered a great deal, and the world she's choosing to build is one that is free of real tragedy and real stakes. The worst thing that can happen is shenanigans, sitcom shenanigans, you know? Things that are easy, small problems. Will you fit in? Will you do well at the talent show? Will the boss like what you cook for dinner? Those are the kind of problems that Wanda Maximoff wants to deal with. And so that's the world she's made. Were you able to talk with any of the other MCU directors and creative minds and get any cool advice or thoughts as you started to veer into this amazing series of realities? (laughs) Yes, definitely. I had a nice chat with Peyton Reed and Taika and the Russos and... Sam Raimi, quite a few different folks along the way. What I love is that there's all of the filmmakers that Kevin has brought in are, are ones that I admire personally. I love the work that they do. I love the way that they deal with comedy and large-scale action. That balance is essential to the MCU success. And so just being able to sort of osmose what I could from those other filmmakers to kind of bring that same approach to what I was doing was really important. Thanks again to Matt Shackman. And of course, all episodes of Marvel Studios' WandaVision are streaming now on Disney+. Plus. Um, But the hits from Disney+, Plus keep on coming because next up, we have Jeffrey Wright, star of Marvel Studios' What If as The Watcher. He was on episode 
513 from August 27th of this year. And this is very well-timed because Marvel Studios' What If has now announced that they will be having a season two. So doubly enjoy this moment as Ryan fanboys so hard. (laughs) What? Look, come on. I can't help it. All of the secrets of the multiverse and its glory weren't really out in the world when you guys were recording this quite a while ago. What were those sort of initial conversations like about that character? Or was it pretty intact from when you kind of just started doing the voice? No, well, one of the most important conversations was about the voice and, you know, who is this guy? What does he sound like? And we talked about trying to find something that was specific to me and kind of contemporary and not really beholden to kind of the classical or what we see too often is kind of the classical kind of stereotypical idea of this sage powerful voice which very often we go back into films or stories that have this mythic element to them and so we had to talk about as i describe it the music of the voice you know and the rhythms of the voice and the tones and I wanted to make something that was in some ways like specific to this and my own version of that voice. So that was that was one thing that was a conversation that we had a couple of times about how we would go about that. I was reading a quote from head writer A.C. Bradley where she was talking about sort of the, the way she envisioned the watchers, the person who was filming the pizza rat video right. and sort of observing and watching, which I feel like kind of lines up like there's the dramatic sense of it all. But at the same time, you just stand back and anything can be interesting and elevated with the right set of eyes behind it. I thought that was so fun. Yeah, he's kicking back, you know, with the microwave popcorn, uh, you know, <laughs> just sitting back, just you know, watching it all. I mean, you can imagine what his man cave is like, you know just an infinite number of television screens, like streaming everything simultaneously, you know? He's got the most massive electric and cable bill in all the multiverse, but he is dispassionate, but at the same time, not. I mean, he's a passionate fan of these people and these beings and these stories. And as the name implies, he's defined by them. Without them, what is he? What is he watching? So. They're almost life itself for him. And then in that way, he's like any audience member or any of us who hear story, who need story. Jonah Nolan, who's the co-showrunner for Westworld, and of course, Chris Nolan's brother. But Jonah had an interesting description. We were talking about these things when we were working a couple seasons ago, and he was talking about story. And the way he described it, story becomes our collective consciousness, That's where we all gather together. And that's really, that's all of us as we come together to understand what life is and who we are and what humanness is. And I think that's one of the reasons that these films are so intensely popular is because the mythology that they present to us is exactly that. It's modern mythology and people need it in order to make order in some ways of things. And also in order, I think, particularly now to find some hope and to find things that they can draw on and trust in this ever increasingly weird world that we live in, where it's like hard to trust. You know you can trust the Hulk, you know? You trust that guy. You know you can trust Thanos to be Thanos. And so people are passionate that that not be screwed with. And they're passionate that they have a connection to that because it gives them some level of stability. And I think for the watcher, it's the same thing, you know? He's the most insane of all Marvel fans. So we're all who are fans. You know, we all got a little bit of the watcher in us, but he's got a lot of it. I really love that. I feel like you, in a way, almost embody the watcher experience of maybe getting to to join this world and become a part of it and to see, you know, that collective consciousness unfold. What has it been like for you to become part of the Marvel canon and to be a part of something that your son and so many people like him have grown to love and and have been watchers themselves? Yeah, I've found like, you know, in my career that it's really much better to be a part of stories that people want to see as opposed to those that people don't want to see. (laughs) It's much better this way, you know, <laughs> it's fun stuff. It's fun stuff. And yeah, it, and I have to say it does have even more meaning to me because it means so much to my, uh, to my son. 
Amazing. Jeffrey, I just want to say, What If is my all-time favorite comic book series. I've got the full run behind me. I friggin' love it. You're crushing it. Thank you for this. You're amazing. Awesome. We, we appreciate it. I appreciate you. that, man. Thank you, bro. Big thanks once again to Jeffrey Wright. I can't wait for more of him and more of the the multiverse in Marvel Studios What If Season 2. But remember, all episodes of the first season of Marvel Studios What If are now streaming on Disney+. Plus. All right. Our fifth highlight for you this week is one that, Lorraine, you and I yes. both lost our minds over this one. This was a great one. This was so fun. We got to talk to Julia and Eric Leewald from X-Men, the animated series, about the making of the show, but also their book, X-Men, the art and making of the animated series, which came out last year. And they are just founts of knowledge about everything X-Men, the animated series. Eric was the showrunner. Julia was a writer on the show. They are married. And this show is very much their baby. (laughs) Yeah. So let's hear from them right now. Eric, could you explain a little bit about what that means to be showrunner? And I feel like that term is used more now than it probably was. It didn't exist back then. It's complicated. I had the responsibility of looking at 30 years of comic books and deciding how do we tell the show? There may be a dozen different ways to do it. It could have been more battle-oriented. It could have made them younger. It could have been funnier. There wasn't much humor in the show. There are 100 choices to make with that much material. And so that's the first stage. You develop the show for television, which means you make all those decisions about what you want the show to be like. It's kind of like I'm the showrunner of the stories. And that was the responsibility. And some people in that position do a lot of writing. But I always felt that if I had a major hand in developing the show Bible, which lays out what the characters' relationships are and how the world works, and the pilot script, then if I just helped everybody else write the rest of the show, that would be the best use of my time. I had my job, the writers had their job, and together we made the scripts as tight as we could. So Julia, what was your role like every episode? I got to be a fly on the wall when Eric and Mark Edens were crafting the hybrid thing of what is an X-Men story? How is it well told best for television? And then what stories have been told in the X-Men comics that could perhaps work in TV. They are very different mediums. I got tapped that first season to write part one of the two-parter, Days of Future Past. (laughs) And there was no magic go-to-the-office writer's room. It literally was Eric and Mark sitting around our, our dining room table, teasing out what those first 13 stories would be. And then as every one of the writers were assigned a story, a premise to go to script, you just took it, went back to your 10-pound computer and you know, begin writing it yourself. There was not a lot of opportunity to call each other and say, what are you doing with this one? What are you doing with that thing? There literally wasn't time. Yeah. So we did the first 26 that way. Then we started doing some more adaptations. But the first season it was set up what the world is because we were warned 85% of the audience, TV audience on Saturday morning wouldn't know who the X-Men were and wouldn't understand the mutant idea. And we had to lay a, a lot of groundwork those first 13 is okay, here's Magneto and what he stands for, and here's Apocalypse and what he stands for, and here's some secondary people, but with a background arc of somebody nasty is doing something with the Sentinels. And that kind of held it all together. And that was a really important creative decision on our part because it made us focus more on what it meant to be a mutant in human society. But also, it was much better for us to have a living embodiment of human intolerance coming after Sentinels as the background for the whole series, that first year. And that beautifully set up the two different camps, uh, Magneto on one side and Professor X on the other. And just looking back on the series, it makes my heart swell just how much Magneto and Professor X truly loved each other, truly cared for each other throughout the whole arc, but had genuinely authentic different takes on how to deal with the mutant situation and humanity's reaction to it. Yeah, I think part of why the show connected with Lorraine and I and and everyone else who was watching it at a certain age is it didn't talk down to us. And with the drama of it all, the humanity of it all felt 
real and, and it hooked us on top of the amazing costumes and the characters and the silliness of like some accents and characters and like everything that makes Marvel and X-Men so special is, is there in the show, which I think was really important. So thank you for that. How did you decide on what characters you wanted to be on the series? And then how did you build that team? What were the dynamics you were looking to create? Yeah, there were, I think, three sets of X-Men books going at the time. And we counted there'd been 29 different people that had officially been X-Men in different teams. So we had a lot to pick from. Two or three of the people we thought were very new, people like Jubilee and Gambit, were not traditional X-Men. They just popped onto the scene. Marvel had three or four people they wanted to push. Obviously, everybody wanted Wolverine on the show. And Cyclops, because he's been with the team forever. So starting with those two... They mentioned, okay, we want to have a teenager. They didn't want Kitty because of Pride of the X-Men had failed. So they got Jubilee, and she was newer. Storm and Rogue, to us and the people drawing it, flying is a lot easier and cheaper to film than walking. <laughs> so getting flying characters is great. And then we also thought, okay, if you're doing this for animation, who are the biggest characters as far as their powers? You know, Rogue can pick up a school bus and throw it through a building. That is animation-friendly. And to sum it all up, we chose characters that were as different from each other as we could, both in character and in powers, so that it wasn't like seven big gruff guys beating on each other. Eight very, very different people in a semi-dysfunctional but loving family that lived in the same house. And to point out, too, there was no pressure to soften any of the female characters' powers, abilities, none of that. They were just as out there and strong, and in, in my opinion had some of the stronger powers. So as people go to pick up the book, what do you hope readers really take away from the experience? The thing that struck me was how rare it is, the magic, when you've tried to be part of so many different shows and you see a lot of talented people putting a lot of effort into them. It's just there's so many places where a show can go wrong that it's like lightning in a bottle and you're so thankful when, oh, those all come together. We all have our favorite shows, but then there's those few that just become special and we have no clue how that works because it's not we're not different people on different shows. We're working just as hard. I think we're just as talented or untalented on either one, <laughs> but all the right people came together at the right time in the business with the right kind of property to be based on and everything came together and went right, and we don't know how to repeat it. <laughs> We'd be happy to try. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating, but it's wonderful. That's a feeling I get when I think back about doing all the different shows, that this one worked. Big thanks again to Julia and Eric Leewald. Go give them a follow on social media if you're not already on Twitter, which is run mostly by Julia, at XmenTAS. They are, as we've said, a triple D, a ding, dang, delight. They're the best. The show is the best. And we're very, very excited because we know Marvel Studios has announced that Marvel Studios X-Men 97 is on the way, coming to Disney Plus in the future. I can't wait. All right. Thank you to all of our wonderful guests for coming on this year. Um, we've had so many wonderful folks. We highly encourage you. If you missed any episodes to, you know, Go thumb through the app wherever you get your podcasts and, and see if there are some interviews that you have missed because we've had on so many wonderful people from podcasts to publishing to films to series to television and beyond. So definitely, definitely go, go, go check it out. Not to mention just some friends who are big old Marvel fans that are what they call famous. All right, Lorraine, next week, our guest on the show will be Eric Monticelli, who is part of Marvel Games. He's been on the show a couple of times this year alone. Uh, we love him. We are very excited because we're talking to him about a new collaboration between Adidas and Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, which is very cool. But also, we have a question of the week this week. So in the spirit of that upcoming interview, we want to know... What character in the Marvel Universe do you think would have the best sneaker collection? You can tweet us your answers using the hashtag ThisWeekInMarvel. Email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com. Or you can send us a message on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thisweekinmarvel. And of course, please tell us if they are quote unquote okay to read on the show so that we can read them here on the show for our community section. Now, what's important here is I want answers other 
than Miles Morales, please. <laughs> because we know Miles is going to have a really cool sneaker collection. That's obvious. He's cool. I think they've hinted on it in the com- it's been in the comics. He's been yeah. like sneaker shopping with Genki in books. So, but you know who has the best sneakers? Obviously, it's Tony Stark. He has all of the money. All of the fashion, and he has like space friends, so I'm sure he has a, like an amazing collection. Yeah, there's got to be a mutant who is like super duper into sneakers because if you are a mutant and you're in Krakoa, you can take a gate to anywhere in the world, and then so like you can go mm-hmm. anywhere whenever there's a, a shoe drop, you can go be there on time, ready for the drop, and they can get some really, really great, very limited edition sneakers. I'm going to say it's Anole. Anole is Mm. the green, younger mutant. He's really cool. He's funny. I think he would have a really cool sneaker collection. I was going to go Jubilee because she has good street style, even though she's like momming it up these days. Hey, look, you could be a parent and have really cool style. Ryan. How dare you? That silence said so much. Uh, Let's move on, please, to our community section, because our question of the week last week was, what are you looking forward to in 2022 from Marvel? We had some great answers. First up is Mountain Meg at Meg Stalker, who tweeted, I can barely contain my excitement for Marvel Studios Thor Love and Thunder coming out next summer. Can't wait to see Jane Foster take up the mantle of Thor. And can we talk about the fantastic cast and the amazing outfits we're going to see in this movie? Epic on every level. Oh, yeah. Next up, Joe Mark Magmanua at Joe Mark Magmanua says, Marvel Studios, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, mostly because the character I have learned to love so much, Wanda Maximoff, is going to be there. Ever since Marvel Studios' WandaVision, I began to see superheroes as inspirations, not because of their power, but of what they've been through. Mm. Next up is Court at Words Lead Me On, who says, I have three things. Marvel Studios' Ms. Marvel, which I already was hyped for before the lead actress was Canadian. I love the books. The excitement over Kamala getting her own show is real. Marvel Studios' She-Hulk, Tatiana is a treasure. And Marvel Studios' Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Heck yeah. Mm-hmm. Kate at Kadeth Yashe says, In 2022, I'm most looking forward to officially seeing more of the seemingly new Doctor Strange that we've been briefly introduced to in the new Marvel Studios Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness clips. I love everybody getting hyped about a Doctor Strange movie, especially this one. And the fact that we can talk about the multiverse so frequently makes me real happy. Yeah, it's awesome. Next up, Matt at Cats with Lasers, which is a perfect name. (laughs) I'm most excited for more of the Moon Knight comic and the Marvel Studios Moon Knight show. Yes, gosh, big year. Big year coming to Disney+. Plus. Yeah. The Moon Knight comic is real good. If you have Marvel Unlimited, go check out the first couple of issues. It's cool. There's vampires and Moon Knight and gnarly villains. It's real fun. Raymond at Raven Ray says, She-Hulk, both her new comic book series and her Disney Plus original series. If you think I am not angry because I am so freaking excited for this comic book with Rainbow Rowell oh, writing, who man. I'm obsessed with, I have excitement aggression yeah, yeah. about this book. It's going to be so good. Let it out. Meow. Next up, we've got Henning at Sestra Hulk, who says, I'm most looking forward to the Marvel Studios She-Hulk Disney Plus series starring the legendary Tatiana Maslany, one of the greatest actors or actresses of all time. I can't wait to see what she does with this role. I mean, I mean, Orphan Black is... She plays like 90% of the characters in the show. <laughs> and I literally watching that show forget that she's acting with herself all the time. She's incredible playing seamless different characters. She's seriously like no one else. Connie at Waltonson says Hulk versus Thor Banner of War is hands down my most anticipated event title of 2022. That and whatever Kieran Gillen and Asad Rabich have in store for us in Eternals, from Eternals undying to everything spinning out of it. Connie, I am here for all of that. Good picks. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have Ryan McVeigh at Roasty88, who says, I know it has already started, but really looking forward to seeing more of Ryan Otley and Donny Kate's run on Hulk. Ryan Otley... Drawing this book brings me such joy because it is so angry. 
It is yeah. so violent and brutal and bloody and gnarly. I think it's issue two where Hulk fights a giant version of Wolverine and rips Wolverine's claws off and then like stabs him in the throat with them. It's a book I'm really enjoying, you guys. Crazy Kiwi at CJ Crazy Kiwi tweets, Iron Fist, can't wait for the torch to be passed. Uh, I don't think you're going to have to wait too long, Crazy Kiwi. I'm very excited for everybody to learn about this and see this. If anybody's missed it, yes, Danny Rand sacrificed his Iron Fist power to help save the world. And so a new Iron Fist will rise in 2022. Stay yeah. tuned. Tony Baloney at Geekarius Tony says, I am so pumped for the remainder of Devil's Reign, seeing where Amazing Spider-Man Beyond goes and who the new creative team for Spidey will be post-Beyond. Selfishly, I want Saladin to keep writing it. Of course, Saladin Ahmed, who we love, who's been writing Amazing Miles and Spider-Man Beyond with that other creative team that is fabulous. Yeah. We get a lot of teases for stuff everybody's been talking about in the last episode of Marvel's Pull List for the year. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But if you want some secrets, go check that podcast out right now. And then finally, we've got a tweet from Mr. Titanium at Mr. Titanium 18, who says to my virtual Marvel fam, Ryan, Tucker, Lorraine, and James, and so many others, thank you for all you do for me, the fans of the Marvel world. Comics, movies, games, etc. You make it all special. Happiest of holidays. Aw, thank you, Gene. Again, big thanks to everyone who's listening for a wonderful 2021. This is our last episode of the year. Before we get out of here, I've got to throw... Uh, a big shout out. Give all the flowers to our very own Lorraine because you have a new title, Lorraine. You have been promoted. What's your new title? Thank you so much, Ryan. My new title is Director of Creative Content here at Marvel Entertainment. I am now a director. Hooray! <laughs> all right. And on that wonderful note, let's wrap it up. This episode of This Week in Marvel was produced by Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Roberts, and Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our senior manager of audio production and development, who also got a new title, is Brad Barton. Good on you, Brad. And Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to all of our guests from 2021 and all of the years past. We couldn't do it without you. And special thanks to Zachary and Isabel, who make us sound beautiful the whole year round. And now this message will self-destruct with this entire year. Self-destruct initiated. Three, two. All right. All right. Banner of War.